0: M S W media. So Renato, there are so many legal walls closing in on Trump. Which one is the biggest threat to him?
1: Uh, it's complicated. I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor. A practicing lawyer and a legal analyst.
0: And I'm Asha Rangappa. I'm a former FBI agent. I teach national security law at Yale University, and I'm a legal and national security analyst.
1: And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down to a soundbite or a tweet. So, Asha, there were so many problems uh, swirling around Donald Trump this past week, from the Oath Keeper's guilty verdicts to the guilty verdict for the Trump organization to the disciplinary proceedings uh, for Rudy Giuliani uh, down in the District of Columbia. There have just been uh, a whole host of problems that have surrounded him. And I, actually, I'm not even going to be around for much of December, so I'm actually crossing my fingers, hoping that Jack Smith takes his sweet time and doesn't uh, return any indictments later this month. And so I think this may be a good time for us to do a recap of where, where we're at with the Trump, uh, Trump legal cases.
0: I agree. Sort of the end of the year you know, countdown of all the different cases. It's um, going to take
1: us a full episode to, uh, to go through them all, right?
0: Yeah, I think it will. Should we start with January sixth?
1: Sure. I mean, I think that's got the most attention. Although I don't, I actually don't think that's the most problematic for Trump. Uh, You know, when we saw the other day um, that there was grand jury subpoenas issued by the special counsel Jack Smith to various state officials in you know Wisconsin, Arizona, other states, that told me he's taking that matter very seriously. He's you know running down the fake elector scheme. But it doesn't suggest to me an investigation that's very far along. In contrast, the Mar-a-Lago case, which is so straightforward. We've talked about that before, where the, um, you know, the the case is much easier to prove because Trump just, uh, you know, kept a bunch of government documents and, and classified documents uh, in his residence. I think that's that's much cl- closer to being charged.
0: I, I agree with you. And on... Well, let's, I guess, so let's quickly dispense with the Mar-a-Lago thing, because I think we're in agreement that that one is <laughs> more straightforward. I think we've gone, you know, there's not much to say about that. I mean, he had classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, which he was not legally entitled to possess their presidential records and government records um, and You know, he illegally removed them. He did not return them when he was asked to do so. And, of course, the development on that front is that the 11th Circuit basically vacated Judge Aileen Cannon's order appointing a special master, which was a big colossal waste of time and rabbit hole that Trump was trying to go down. And so that has been dispensed with. So that allows the Department of Justice to move full speed ahead. With their investigation at this point,
1: that's right. Uh, I mean, there are still you know questions remaining. One of which is where will they charge the, the? Where will they charge this case? Will they charge it down in Florida, where there is uh you know certainly venue? In other words, when I say the word venue, there's a requirement in the Constitution that crimes are charged where they're at. So if I commit crimes in Illinois, I can't be charged in Utah, uh, for uh, robbing a bank in Illinois um but uh with something like a a scheme to obstruct justice or to um even to you know uh, t- you know for example keep government property or to willfully retain classified records that can be done from a variety of different locations because Trump could be planning to do that in DC and making decisions about that in DC he could actually have the retention being done in Florida So I think there's a real question. Will it be done? Will that indictment come in D.C.? Will it come in Florida? And then I think the timing is a question. In other words, prosecutors often have to think, do I wait till I have everything sewn up? You know, I I had many cases when I was a federal prosecutor where I was investigating uh, one person for a whole variety of things. There are some people who I thought I could literally investigate them for the rest of their lives because there's so many potential uh, acts of wrongdoing. And at a certain point, you obviously draw a line and just charge. But but do you charge some of the stuff you have first and continue to investigate the rest? I would advise uh, uh, Mr. Smith to do that. I would say charge the Mar-a-Lago case and then let the um, January 6th stuff you know drag on and take its time. But it's possible he waits on that, which could obviously change the timing. And I think the other question is who else will be charged, right? There's You know, there's some poor guy who, uh, well, I say poor guy, but he followed Trump's orders to move some documents. You know, there was some questioning of that of that individual. There's obviously some attorneys who uh, tried to mislead the Justice Department, FBI, which is obviously a bad idea. Uh, And there's there's others who could potentially be charged as part of that scheme. So very interesting um, decision making tree there.
0: Yes, and the other cl- the other uh, complicating factor here is that involved classified information. That, to the extent that they choose to charge Trump with uh, the Espionage Act, with willfully re- retaining uh, classified information, the Department of Justice is going to have to make a decision on which documents they want to, you know, basically make the issue of the case right and there are a lot of considerations that go into that uh, part of you know the classified documents being returned to the justice department from an earlier eleventh circuit ruling allows them to continue allowed them to continue with the classification review so they're kind of going through the documents making sure they're appropriately classified um, you know inventorying it all but at some point they're going to have to make a decision because you know the ri- there's always the risk when you prosecute a case like that that the doc, the information that you're kind of making the issue of the case is going to end up getting disclosed. And so if it's national defense information, you need to be very careful about that. So I think that that's going to also be something underlying it. But to the point that, of, you know, kind of how far along we are, I think we need to just do a basic uh, reminder that, you know, this is all coming after a search warrant was executed at Trump's Home and search warrants are highly intrusive and come much later in an investigation, and so just that alone tells you that this had proceeded to a point. Um, and you know, my sense is that kind of going that far makes an indictment more likely. You know, that th- that's something that's already been contemplated. Whereas if you're still at the investigative stage of you know questioning people, you know, you you don't know yet that they have even probable cause um, to believe that uh, a crime has been committed with regard to Trump.
1: Yeah, very, very good points. I will just say, Asha, I've been all over the place lately saying that I think an indictment is likely, which is very out of character for me. I'm usually (laughs) like the, the, uh, the sad Panda. Who's like, no, 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 you know, nothing's going to happen. I've changed my tune as to this particular charge for a number of reasons. Uh, But which we've I think we've already discussed in the on the podcast. But I think that if there isn't a charge here, it's going to be because of something that, you know, is called gray mail. And that's really what you're touching on. And as you mentioned that, in a in the United States of America, you are entitled to receive the evidence that is being used against you in a case. So, you know, I can't the government can't say, hey, we've got some amazing evidence that's going to prove your guilt. Renato, but we're not going to provide it to you. You're just going to have to take our word for it or, uh, you know, you can't you can't examine this before trial yourself and you and your attorneys can't prepare for it. The practical matter is that there is actually a statutory system in place that even for classified information that the defense has some opportunity to, you know, review those those documents, that evidence and use and use that at trial And so, you know, what I think one issue for the Justice Department is, you know, Trump seems like the sort of person who is not only vindictive and hateful towards the Justice Department and the federal government and contemptuous, but he's somebody who just doesn't give an F, so to speak. And so he, I think, would would not think twice about, you know, posting all the classified information on Truth Social. And, I, I, you know, I wonder... You know, if there isn't an indictment here, because I've tried to think of myself, why wouldn't you indict in this case? And really, to me, it comes down to one of two things. Either one, it's Trump and just the Justice Department's like, we're going to look political if we indict Trump, so we're just not going to do it, which I think would be a horrible policy. And I don't think they're going in that direction. The second might be some national security analysts, people more like you. Uh, in a room saying, oh, my goodness, if we if we indict him on, the, on this stuff, he's going to be spilling all of our secrets about how we learn about the nuclear weapons capabilities of all these countries or something yeah. like that. I,
0: I would say, though, Renato, that that's a threat now. I mean, t- like, theoretically, he could do that if you indict him with anything.
1: I think that's right.
0: Right? Like, he doesn't have the document. You're talking about stuff that's in his head right now. And if he really wanted to start just doing, like, a big truth social thread of, like, our national defense secrets. I mean, he could do that with regard to um, the Fulton County case. I mean, he could do that if if that's the leverage. And I think that that would be very wrong to use that as a basis um, to not move forward. Um, And I also think the optics at this point, they're kind of beyond that. I mean, I think, because I think you can make the argument that the optics also look really bad if you executed a search warrant and went through all the stuff and then Are like, okay, thanks. We're just going to keep this goodbye. Um, So, uh, but should we move on to the January 6th case too? I I feel like we can now talk about this case. Yeah, pretty much. So,
1: yes. So, let's talk about January 6th. I mean, when we say the word January 6th, right, we're talking about a whole host of things all at the same time.
0: We're talking about multiple different conspiracies that were interconnected and, uh, you know, culminated in the events that day. i have a I have a diagram, a coup chart, which I had posted on my Twitter feed for a while, which I think um you know highlighted all of the different components of of the January sixth scheme.
1: It's a scientific scientific diagram exactly very,
0: very highly um so let's just run down the possible like the potential and we're talking about trump here right? like Trump's liability, and I think maybe just quickly do um, a rundown of, of the different charges in play. Um, you mentioned the Oath Keepers. Uh, Stuart Rhodes was convicted of seditious conspiracy uh, a couple of weeks ago or a week ago. I can't remember. Time is blurring together. Um, and Renata, you know that I've been the sad panda on seditious conspiracy for Trump. I just don't think, like, never say never, and I don't know what, they, what evidence they've gathered. But- there's not a lot of case law with regard to seditious conspiracy. It's not, you know, there's not a lot of precedent because it you don't want to charge it a lot. It's a highly symbolic charge. It's a political crime. It creates a lot of stigma. It's about, it's as close as you can get to charging someone with treason. So, uh, and it's, you know, hard to prove. Um, and I, and the case law that is there is a very high bar. It requires showing that the person had a specific plan to use force to resist the authority of the United States. And I think intuitively people hear that and they say, well, that's obviously what Trump did, but you know, it's, it's not like, unless you, I think had a situation where he was communicating with Stuart Rhodes and was like, and here's what, what you're going to do. You're going to march to the Capitol. Um, I, I think that it will be a very, it will be a much more circumstantial and tenuous connection that um, the justice department wouldn't charge. Now, look, if on that day trump had managed to convince the secret service to let him go to the capitol and be there as these people were rioting and you know lead, leading the charge i guess um in there maybe things would have been different right because that but i i think what we know now and what he did which was he was not present at the scene i have not seen any direct connection between him And these militia groups um, that have been charged and now now convicted of seditious conspiracy. So that's my take on that. I don't think that that is really in play.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's in play at all. Yeah, I I, I, sorry for all the listeners who think it is. Um, I I just also just have not really seen much evidence connecting the the higher ups, you know, Trump and his very. close associates with these people on the ground who were um
0: well with the exception of roger stone yeah
1: i think that's that's a fair point and who knows what roger stone was telling the, the 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 former president but i just yeah i don't know we haven't seen the evidence yet so to me that's just like not even in the cards i mean when i look at the the what potential charges there are around trump i'm thinking about things that we actually know he was like involved in based upon evidence that's out there right so OK, you have like, you know, if I'm thinking about it, OK, certainly he was giving a speech to all these loons on the whatever the the ellipse or wherever, or where he was basically um, cheering them on and urging them essentially to, uh, you know, take action. And he was using all sorts of euphemisms to basically encourage them to attack the Capitol. I, I think, th- you know, you could bring an incitement to insurrection or incitement to violence charge there based on the fact that, you know, according to Cassidy Hutchinson, he was told that uh, there's these folks in the crowd who had weapons, and, and his response was like, well, they're not going to use them against me, they're going to march on the Capitol, uh, which I think is really something. But I just I just wonder, I mean, if you're Jack Smith, do you take on a like highly problematic, questionable charge like that when you could just charge a documents case and be done with it? Like, I just... I would say it reminds me when I was a federal prosecutor, and we'd have these really awful gang leaders who were ordering all these murders. And it's like, well, do we want to bring some big RICO case involving a bunch of murders? We have to prove up, prove up, or do we just want to get them with like twenty kilos of heroin or something, and then just charge that because it's a lot easier to prove? And then we'll show the judge all the stuff about the murders, and the judge can make whatever decision that she wants to make. And I think that's that's what I see here.
0: So I think the tightrope that Jack Smith is walking is on the one hand. You know, if you swing at the king, you best not miss, right? So you want the kind of the easiest case that you can get and the one that you can sew up. On the other hand, I think that when you're charging the president of the United States, especially for something like the violence that occurred on January 6th an attack on the Capitol, I, th- I think you also want to charge conduct that fits the crime. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, especially since I think seditious conspiracy is off the table, holding him responsible for the violence in some way is important. And I would have said at an earlier stage that rebellion and insurrection, which I think is what you're talking about, inciting people to set on foot and, um, you know, resist the authority of the United States um, is also a high bar. It involves free speech issues. Um, But as you noted, we now have a lot of Evidence, at least in the public sphere, of his intent leading up to it—that he anticipated the violence, that he wanted the violence—the the, the uh, information that he wanted to join them afterwards. And now, by the way, uh, we have you know his latest video, basically providing comfort and support to the January sixth defendants, and then his tweet saying that he wants to suspend the Constitution. I mean, there's now like kind of a much, I think, more robust body of evidence about his intent and what he really wanted to transpire that day that um, I think it is a conceivable charge. I I don't know that it's, I don't know, I don't want to say it's likely or unlikely, but I think it's like in play. And what's important about that charge, by the way, Renato, is that it has as its penalty a prohibition from holding public office ever again.
1: Yeah, I look, I think that's, that's the case, although I think given the legal challenges, uh, you know, w- and I'll just very briefly say that this is, be, you know, the reason we talked, you mentioned free speech, uh, generally giving political talks in the ellipse, uh, particularly for a public figure, the president of the United States is protected by the First Amendment. So, it's very thorny issue as to whether or not this is something that could be prosecuted or whether the, you know, his speech was first amendment protected. I just think that realistically any case, uh, any trial would certainly come after the next election <laughs> because there would be a very long Supreme court challenge that would occur in the beginning. I, I do, I do think, you know, this is something that could conceivably be taken on. It's something that I think, um, Jack Smith would have to feel very strongly about, um, and/or Merrick Garland would have to feel very strongly about that they want to bring this case. You know, it reminds me when we had uh, threat cases against judges, uh, for you know, where people were that we had. I remember in my former office, we had radio hosts who was trying to get people to kill uh, conservative radio hosts, is trying to get people to kill federal judges, and we brought that case multiple times and had multiple acquittals and all sorts of First Amendment challenges. Um, and obviously, we felt strongly about it because, hey, the, these are the judges that were considering our cases. Uh, so we wanted to make sure they they were alive. Um, and we felt, we felt very strongly about you know protecting them. But I think this would have to be something that they were committed to because it's going to take a lot of resources just to get that case brought and get it to trial given the legal hurdles. So, Asha, now let's talk a little bit about the wild cards, because there are definitely some... Uh, legal cases that you know, people don't talk much and I think we really don't know where they're going to go. And, and one of those to me is this whole Clark and Eastman thing. Um, you know, J- J- Jeffrey Clark was proposing that the Justice Department send a letter to the state of Georgia containing a bunch of lies trying to convince them that they shouldn't certify their electors because there's like a lot of questions about or whatever, um, it, you know, all of which he wasn't authorized to say and wasn't true. And he was told by his superiors are false. You know, that strikes me as like an absolute, like 100 percent strong false statement case with thousand and one. In other words, you're making a false statement in a federal proceeding against Clark, well, the interesting thing, of course, is that Donald Trump really wanted that statement to go out and almost made Clark the attorney general, right? So what's his liability there? Who knows? Like, that's like a total wild card. Another wild card is this fake elector scheme. That's what that's, that grand jury subpoena we talked about earlier was, was about. Well, you know, fake electors, those are appear to be false documents that were going to be filed with the United States Senate. Also an obvious problem because those people weren't the valid electors for those states. Who's implicated in that? You know, how high does that go? There's a lot of really salty emails out there uh, where where Republican attorneys are like, yeah, this seems like a fraud or false or something. Where's that going to go? I don't I think we don't know yet. It's really early on.
0: Yeah. And uh, just to make sure that people understand the connection, I do think the DOJ letters are connected to the fake electors uh, scheme. And I think this is related to the subpoenas that went out to these officials. The idea was, because Jeffrey Clark intended to send a copy of that letter, not just to Georgia, but also the six other states where these fake the slate of fake electors were being uh, created. And I think the idea was to c- create a legal veneer that this was all based in actual, al- you know, substantiated allegations of voter fraud, which would then justify like creating the second slate and da, da, da. Like it was all... I think it was just all one big plot. But as you said, how does this tie back to Trump in terms of the states? Don't forget that Trump's dream team, Giuliani, Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis were the ones who were making the rounds in each of these states, talking to the legislators, um, you know, egging on these claims of uh, voter fraud, et cetera. So, um, you know, that's not just Jeffrey Clark, but that's another conduit through which, you know, Trump may have been involved. Um, but as you said, I don't know how how tight that connection is. He's a, you know, Trump is a very savvy guy. We know this, that he talks in code and he, he understands how to keep himself at arm's length from his, you know, minions uh, who are out doing his dirty work. So I think it's uh, definitely challenging and you would need I I would think um testimony from these people to say and, and to, to say this is what we were discussing and this is exactly what Trump asked me to do or what he knew, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's all pretty far afield. And by the way, it really goes to show, I mean, we're we're talking we're talking about various ch- January sixth charges here. This is all much more tenuous and kind of further afield than you know, certainly Mar-a-Lago, which we talked about earlier, but just A lot of other things that we're going to talk about in this episode, and it's interesting because January 6th, obviously a horrific day in American history, a day that's going to be remembered. I think Trump bears a lot of moral responsibility for it, but there's really, I think, a difference between bearing moral responsibility for something that's... Heinous, and whether or not there's sufficient evidence to charge a federal crime, because there aren't a lot of federal crimes around, you know, trying to block the peaceful transfer of power and some of these things that, frankly, um, don't happen every day.
0: Yeah, and I think that highlights that's such a great point, Renato. It highlights the importance of the process of impeachment because our criminal code isn't designed to describe behavior, as you just noted by a person who holds the vast powers and authority of the presidency of the United States. Like, you know, that's not, they. you know, the, the criminal code is designed for like your average Joe. And so often when we're looking at the criminal code to fit the behavior that Trump engaged in as president, you're putting, you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And the impeachment process, which is much broader or the, the bar for impeachment, high crimes and misdemeanors, um, Offers essentially an escape valve, so that you're not, you know, in these very tight um, rules and definitions that the that criminal code offers. And I think, unfortunately, that you know we missed that boat twice. So, um.
1: yeah, that's an understatement. All right, well let's l- <laughs> let's let's come back uh, in a minute and talk about everything else. There's like a whole potpourri of federal and state. <laughs>
0: Should we go to the new? Should we go to the New York bundle? <laughs>
1: the like- New York bundle. We'll go to that in just one minute.
0: Hi, I'm Moji Alawadiel from the Feminist Buzzkills Live Pod, the only podcast that helps you navigate the news in this post pro anti abortion hellscape. Each week, with co-hosts Marie Khan and Liz Winstead, we dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with providers and activists working on the ground. The cherry on top is we have amazing comedy guests who help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzz Kills Live drops Fridays wherever you pod. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off.
1: So, Asha, we had, I think, a pretty important verdict uh, this past week. The Trump Organization is found guilty by a jury of engaging in fraud, uh, tax fraud. I think a very significant verdict. Uh, verdict. It's in, what I find one thing I find interesting about it. Although there are certainly lots of, uh, there has been a lot of attention around the world. I've been getting, I'm sure you as well, inquiries from various news organizations wanting to talk about it. Um, it. It doesn't have the as much direct significance as you might think, because of course these are convictions of entities. It's not even we call it the Trump Organization, but there's really a whole slew of different companies that are part of it. And these are just two specific companies that, that had this verdict and you can't throw companies in jail. So it's not like they're going, you know, the company is uh, in shackles somewhere in the prison. It's realistically got a fine and it'll have some consequences, but it's not, doesn't quite have the impact that a, an indictment of, uh, let's say Donald Trump might have.
0: That's true, but I wouldn't underplay the importance of it because it does hit Trump where it hurts. Right. Um, I mean, Trump cares about two things. He cares about public image and he cares about money. <laughs> and so uh, I guess yeah. I would be interested to know what you think in terms of the fine. Like, will it be enough to hurt or make any kind of meaningful dent in his business empire? Um, and then I think we mentioned before the break, the bundle. So there's the sister case the civil case by the New York AG and this is looking at the valuation scheme of Trump's assets is that right yeah, yeah. looking so, at the, he he overvalued uh, that, yeah, that, them right. for purposes of getting loans he undervalued them for purposes of his taxes um and that's again uh, still a civil case uh which I assume has the potential to become a criminal case if depending on what they find and even if not isn't there potential significant liability there too in the form of fines we know that for example the trump foundation had previously been investigated and then ultimately was dissolved uh because of financial mismanagement um, and misappropriation of funds. So, you know, I'm just saying, I know, look, we all want to see him in an orange jumpsuit, but I think we shouldn't discount how, how these other mechanisms can be important and can, uh, you know, I I think we, we can trump in in significant ways and hit him where it hurts.
1: You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make a provocative comment uh, here. So usually we think that, Criminal cases are more serious than civil cases in this particular context, I actually think the civil case is a bigger problem and it has more serious downside for Trump and for his companies than this criminal case. So to be a sad back, go back to my usual sad panda uh, uh, persona uh, i don't really think the criminal case in and of itself uh, generates a lot of problems for Trump. I think the fines seem like one point six million something along those lines. Um, there's a couple entities that were convicted here, you know. Um, that you know, Trump Corporation, for example. You know, w- w- a lot of companies. One thing that that folks may not realize is that you know, if you have a big company, whatever, pick your your favorite company. That you know, we may think of it as one company. You know, Apple, Twitter, McDonald's, whatever your favorite company is. There are actually a whole slew of different entities that do different things. There's like a payroll company. There's a company that just holds the IP. Uh, All these different uh, entities. So these are a couple entities that are part of the Trump organization. They have this criminal penalty. But here's the thing. In the civil case, she's not just asking for fines. She wants like the, the basically these these entities to be to lose their 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 license effectively under New York law to be able to operate in New York. She wants to to say that uh, Trump per- cannot own commercial real estate, uh, can, cannot purchase commercial real estate in New York any longer, uh, enter into certain types of contracts. Um, she wants to have all sorts of oversight over the Trump organization going forward. I mean, just massive penalties that would effectively cripple the Trump organization and make it so that they couldn't effectively do business in the state of, of New York. That's his before.
0: livelihood. I mean, right. and that's you know. This is a little bit tangential, but when you were talking, it reminded me of Tanya Harding after the um, attempt to cripple Nancy Kerrigan. I'm dating myself now, but mm-hmm. um, and in that in the prosecution uh, or not the, the in the civil suit that resulted from that case, um, she was ordered to that she could never skate again. And, you know, she lost mm-hmm. her livelihood. And, you know, I think. And this is all I know this all from watching a documentary about Tanya Harding, which um, <laughs> I was obsessed with for a little right. while. But I, you know, it 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 drove home like that is a huge blow to someone when you take away what it is that has made them up. And to the earlier point that he cares about money and he cares about his image, um this whole thing about blowing open that he's really not as rich as he is, and he's making this all up as he goes along, you know, in terms of valuation and, and things like that, it's also um, a public image disaster for him.
1: It is. And here's an interesting thing I really think that the there can be an interplay between these two cases we just talked about because the fact that these entities are already have been convicted of committing fraud, I think will potentially come in in the civil mm. proceeding. It'll be interesting to see there. I'm sure there'll be a battle over that. So yeah, I definitely think that's a problem for Trump, um, in a different way than some of these other things. But I I actually think that's going to be a pretty significant problem. I also will just say that, you know, Trump, because we, you know, you we're all talking here today about how all he's facing all these different problems. You know, that's not entirely unusual. Um, You know, I've at times represented clients who have all sorts of problems at different venues. Uh, A lot of the the other. you know, uh, people we've talked about on the podcast, whether it's Sam Bankman, Freed, or whomever, you know, they all have th- problems in different jurisdictions. You sometimes have to because give up certain, uh, if you're fighting a multi-front war, you give up on certain fronts in order to stand strong in other fronts. And I think for Trump, you know, realistically, you know, they took the fifth, for example, in that civil case, uh, because they had to, because they're facing criminal cases elsewhere. Well, uh the bottom line is I think that's gonna make the civil case very strong. So I do think that is a, a very significant problem for Trump. Um and and more more significant in in a certain, in a lot of ways, in my view, than the Georgia Fulton County case, which is I think another state case that's gotta be high up on the radar if you're in the Trump team.
0: Yeah. Before we go to that, can we look at one more thread in the bundle?
1: Oh, sure. In the New York bundle. Wait, there's 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 another thread.
0: There's a there's a slight thread, which is reporting that Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, is potentially reopening or gonna dig a little bit deeper on flashback, the Stormy Daniels payment mm-hmm. <laughs> from many many years ago that uh, we thought was dead in the water. But this was the payment that was made to Stormy Daniels via Michael Cohen. Before Trump ran for president, the to the hush money payment essentially that Michael Cohen was convicted on, um, and uh, as a as an illegal campaign contribution, and then the question was whether Trump would also be swept in because he testified that he had done that at Trump's direction.
1: All right, I'm going to be a little provocative here again. I, I be have provocative. No, I have no faith at all in Alvin Bragg. Okay, <laughs> and and here's here's the deal with Mr. Bragg. I, you know, Mr. Bragg uh, inherited a case that Cy Vance and his team had put together to go after not uh, the the not only the Trump organization but Trump. I have lots of friends in and around the Manhattan DA office, and everybody was telling me like they're all very upset. Apparently, this was not. You know, not going forward. Bragg killed the case. You know, they thought it was a great case. And, and I got to tell you, my initial reaction, because I'm the sad panda of the uh, Trump uh, world, I was like, well, you know what? Good for him for being brave, for being careful. You know, maybe he just thought it wasn't a winner. Like, you know, I'm never going to I'm never going to criticize a prosecutor who shows restraint. I'm like, OK, wow, really a bold take. Then you know when, when that happens, of course, everybody in the world is mad at Alvin Bragg because he kills a case against Trump and 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 uh, tr- and shuts it down. So what? And he didn't. I guess he didn't anticipate this. I actually figured. I thought at the time it was this brave decision. The guy was, you know, didn't care about losing his job because he's an elected <laughs> official was willing to take an unpopular stance. Well, no. The guy goes and deceives everybody into trying, you know, just making this false suggestion. That, oh, yeah, no, we still have the case open, even though everybody I talked to is like, yeah, no, the case is totally winding down. There's almost no one on it. They're just getting rid of the you know, case and returning all the evidence. And he's trying to make it sound like, oh, no, we're still going at him. And so- But
0: didn't he hire somebody just now?
1: Well, just now. Yeah. So now that this is on the prior case, right. That he killed. Okay, So he, he gave this false impression to the press. Like, Oh no, no, it's still going. I haven't made a final decision. I've just made a, you know, we're not doing anything yet. We're just, you know, we're still looking at evidence, but you know, he, he gave that impression to the press while at the same time, like internally, all that I heard is that everything was winding down. So now suddenly, okay, now he wants to resurrect this Stormy Daniels thing and he's going to launch this. It strikes me as like a guy who didn't realize that making the decision he did in the prior Trump case was going to look so bad. So he wants to seem like he's still doing something and he's tough. I I just, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, that that was a challenging case for a number of reasons. Uh, It just strikes me as potentially a political move on
0: his part. Yeah, that was my question, you know, in terms of like, What's new? I mean, there's it doesn't seem like anything new has been discovered or unearthed that would make it suddenly a, you know, more prosecutable case than it was before, unless I just missed something big or unless it was something about this, uh, you know, conviction, trial and conviction of the Trump organization. But to me, those seem like completely unrelated issues. I mean, the Trump organization case was really about the you know, the two sets of books, basically, there was two sets of accounting that they were doing to kind of essentially avoid paying taxes. What that would have to do with Stormy Daniels, I, I can't see any connection. So I don't know what else would make this suddenly a new case.
1: Yeah, there may be some false entry in the books and records as a result of the Stormy Daniels payment. But why he's going at this now just smacks to me as somebody who needs to change the narrative around him because he's I think developed a, a narrative amongst a lot of people and his, you know a lot of his constituents as somebody who's not going to be tough on Trump. Like I said, I actually my initial instinct was to admire it, but uh, at this at this stage, I don't have admiration for people who deceive the public, and I'm very um, concerned about you know w- what what he's doing here with this new with this new one. So. Let's go. Speaking of questionable prosecutions, let's go to Fulton County. Uh, oh,
0: you have been the sad panda on Fulton County. Uh, I have.
1: I'm very skeptical of that one as well. Uh, I'm. Not, I. I have to say, I don't know. Um, I don't have as many uh, secret sources there, so it's not like I've got a bunch of Fulton County prosecutors who are whispering in my ear on that one. Um, but I, am skeptical, uh, that you're going to have a state fraud case brought by a local prosecutor. That's going to take down Donald Trump. Um, we'll see. Uh, but I handle state court cases. In fact, I'm going to be in, uh, you know, handling a state court criminal case today. I'm going to be in you know, court dealing with that. I just, it, it's, it's, they don't have the, they have a lot on their plate. They don't have a lot of resources. And, you know, it's a, it, it strikes me as a complicated case, uh, Really, that its core is about some phone calls that are were deliberately ambiguous because, as you said, uh, the people involved are good at hiding stuff. And I appreciate that everyone on Twitter or on certain television networks might pull out a few words that Trump said about find me these votes. But if you look at the whole context of it, it's a kind of a word salad, which is usually what Trump does deliberately, I think, to try to confuse matters. So I'm, I'm skeptical of that one.
0: And I, I appreciate that. And I've, I've listened to your thoughts on it, um, you know, since, since it started, though, I think it's evolved a lot. And I would push back just in this sense. Um, as I mentioned before, I think I agree with you that if it was just a phone call standing alone, that, you know, that's, again it's intuitive that he's up to no good and it's sketchy and obviously he was trying to like you know pull a scam um but it's not necessarily you know something that would be provable as a crime in court but i think when you start to build out the other things that um uh the the prosecutor the da there is looking at um you know she's also looking at the attempt uh to get legislators to create a false slate of electors or, you know, the Giuliani and uh, Jenna L is talking, you know, testifying to the Senate committees down there. And again, you have the fake DOJ letter that was coming that we know Trump was involved with. So I think to look at the call in the context of these other components, and she's bringing in these other witnesses to testify in front of the grand jury, Giuliani's come in there, Um, Sidney Powell, Jenna Ellis, uh, Lindsey Graham, um, you know, so to the extent that people can flesh out what was happening behind the scenes, what was the intention? What was the bigger scheme that was uh, in play and was being planned? I don't know that that's necessarily, you know, it is complicated, but it sounds like that's what she's trying to do. And, you know, it may be that once we see the story, that phone call, you know, may be a a bad act that could be uh, prosecuted in, in this larger scheme.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say something now you don't usually hear legal analysts say, but I'll say this. I I do think that at the end of the day, um, this is going to turn on questions of Georgia law that I don't, that are not in my wheelhouse. So ultimately the end of the day, I'm agnostic as to how it turns out. I'm giving you my educated take of Here's how I'd read the tea leaves. If I was a client called me asking for advice about a case like this, this is what I some of the, I would express skepticism and so forth. Um, I will say some of the people I've taught who I've talked to who do seem to know more about it are equally skeptical. So we'll see what happens. Um, but I think that um, it's certainly going to create problems for Trump, and, and and the problems that it creates are like some of the ones that I alluded to earlier. It gives him another front to fight in. So. You know one thing that people uh, I think don't don't think about enough is certainly there's a, a substantial cost that comes with uh, defending yourself in criminal investigations. That goes without saying. but also there's just um an attention and time that goes. I mean th- this creates something else that you have to manage and you have to plot for. So I think, you know, there's a very good chance that while Jack Smith is getting further down the road and doing whatever he's going to do in Mar-a-Lago, which I frankly expect to be likely a criminal indictment, um, Trump is, you know, having to deal with court appearances in Fulton County and evidence in Fulton County and all the fallout of the charges there, while at the same time dealing with the uh, bundle that, as you call it, in New York. Um, And it's it's just a lot. And it also means that you know, you can potentially give um, uh, prosecutors in a different jurisdiction some uh, some help. You know, for example, well, get, to give you a sense of somebody else who's had a lot of problems, R. Kelly's been indicted all over the place for you know uh, sexually abusing young young uh, ch- children, and his testimony in one case or conviction in one case would mm-hmm. help the prosecutors in some totally separate jurisdiction. So I just think. You know, getting everyone under oath in this Fulton County case uh, is is not a good thing for Trump and his team because it just could be used elsewhere by Jack Smith or somebody else.
0: But think of all the grifting opportunities it offers.
1: <laughs> indeed, indeed. It, it's it, it, And by the, I should say, too, um, I, I do think that there's. Potentially, other things out there as uh, you know that we haven't even talked about because I, I i we're getting close to wrapping up on all of this, but I will just say that there's like a whole campaign investigation federal campaign mm. investigation mm. of his campaign uh, so there's a lot there's a lot going on uh and stay tuned because um unless uh Trump is indicted while i'm on vacation uh you know we'll have a lot to talk about. Uh, Regarding these subjects in in uh, 2023. So before we go, Asha, you know I've alluded a couple times I'm going to be on vacation, so I'll be I'll be here next week. uh, But then I'm taking a couple weeks off at the end of the year uh, because uh, judges don't like to have court appearances in late December. uh, And uh, the as you know, FBI agents are usually off with their families in December. There's a lot of use or lose vacation time. So in my uh, day job, uh, I actually get to take some time and, and take a vacation uh, to Europe with my wife. Uh, I, I, I think you've taken some vacations this year too, right?
0: Yeah. So I went to Cozumel, Mexico Whoa. Over the summer with my kids, we celebrated my dad's 80th birthday there with the extended family. So that was great, um, you know, fun water vacation of scuba diving and, and snorkeling and swimming and things like that. All the things my dad loves. So and uh, I'll be going back to Cozumel actually in January with my boyfriend.
1: Wow. That, I think that seems like an even better time to be in Cozumel, at least speaking as a Chicagoan, like getting out of Chicago in the winter is always a good thing. And Cozumel seems like a perfect place to be.
0: Yes. Um, And otherwise I haven't, I mean, you know, I haven't done a lot of international travel and, uh, but I do, I want to do some and I'm hoping to get to Europe Next summer, maybe
1: we have not done international travel at all since the pandemic. Uh, So this is going to be a new one. I'm going to be wearing my uh, N95 mask on the plane, uh, hoping that I just I don't get sick and ruin my trip. Right.
0: Where are you going?
1: So we're going to. We're flying to Amsterdam, Ooh. and then we're doing a river cruise down the Rhine uh, through Germany, France, and Switzerland. Oh and then God. we're gonna take a train to Milan and spend a couple of days there before before we come back. It, it, my my wife is. Um, jewish but she absolutely loves christmas and is like super into christmas and so we always do all sorts of christmas stuff that's actually something when we were dating we spent a lot of time uh, doing christmas stuff so uh we're gonna go to all these christmas markets and have a lot of fun it's like a very us sort of thing to do so i'm gonna be bundled up uh going to a lot of christmas markets and and uh you know eating bad food and getting a bunch of knickknacks from europe
0: That's great. And by the way, you know, my my hot tip, pro tip for listeners is to go into your airline apps and check your wallet. Because I discovered credits that I didn't know I Mm -hmm. had and certificates that were expiring in 20, like in January 23. Um, So just check them because and I've like I've told two friends to check them and they were like, oh, my God, I have like a. $300 $300 credit that I need to use by, you know, so they might be there. That's all I'm saying.
1: This is like a steam map. Like you're, you're basically like the self-help uh, I am. person on this podcast. I like am. you've got tips.
0: <laughs> I do have tips. I do have tips and deals. I do. Yeah. Wow.
1: Well, well, this is exciting. I just my only hope, by the way, for my trip is that is that Henry, my dog, does not think we've abandoned him. Like in the we we're deliberately we've got different. You know, my my stepdaughter and mother in law are going to be watching it for the first part of the trip, and we're just hoping that he doesn't uh, freak out when we're gone.
0: Oh, that makes it's- me sad. He'll be okay. It reminds me of remember that when Ted Cruz fled to Cancun, and there was oh, the yeah. picture of his dog like in the doorway like staring outside that was really sad I don't think that will be Henry. I'm sorry. But I I'm hope just- <laughs> not.
1: I do feel very responsible because, you know, he had been in different homes since he's a rescue and he had been in multiple fosters and rescues. He's been in two different rescues and three different fosters before he came to us. So he's like still in the mindset that he's like not sure if I'm leaving. Oh, no.
0: He doesn't know that this is his forever home.
1: I think, he, you know, he's starting to figure it out. But like every morning he go- gets up and comes to my side of the bed to check if I'm still there. Like every time I come home, he's like so excited. Like, oh my yeah. God, you're you you actually returned. Like it's like a big deal. Um yeah. and you could just tell he's like overwhelmed um yeah. by that. So hopefully he can survive being gone a week and not think we've abandoned him.
0: Oh, poor thing. I think it'll he'll be okay.
1: Fingers crossed. So well, all right. We'll 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 be back next week and then we could talk about all the fun stuff we're gonna you get you're gonna do when I'm gone. Please don't break anything.
0: Yep. I won't. <laughs> I'll try. Not. It'll be like a risky business, <laughs> uh, you know. Party. <laughs> wow. Uh, All
1: right. On that note.
0: Yeah. Check us out on YouTube uh, and and also these other places.
1: Other than YouTube, well, you can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, yada yada yada.